0: Doctor, hmm? he says the TARDIS isn't a time machine. Oh, does he now? Tell him. Mm. I don't see why I shoot my child. He'll learn
1: soon enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, Doctor, I've seen some spaceships in my time. Admittedly, nothing like this. But,
2: but what does this do? That is the dematerializing control, and that over yonder is the horizontal hold. Up there is the scanner, those are the doors, that is a chair with a panda on it, sheer poetry, dear boy.
1: Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're going through this 50-year-old show from the beginning to determine what's still worth watching for a modern audience. I'm your host, and I'd prefer it if you didn't call me Doc. My co-host is Guy, who always serves a nice eggs and English muffins breakfast to his prisoners. Hello, guy. Hello, Doc. <laughs> I just hope you don't include that nasty English alleged bacon with the breakfast.
2: <laughs> if I can get good American bacon, that'll be what I offer.
1: <laughs> so, wow, kind of a landmark, you know. We started this whole thing about a year ago, and here we are at the finally at <laughs> the last episode of season two of uh, William Hartnell.
2: Well, the last surviving episode. We've we've had to we've had to forego a few.
1: Well, yes, but this was the last story of the season, so it's not. we didn't lose anything at the end of the season, at least. Okay. But yes, that's true. We unfortunately weren't able to watch them all. The nice thing is the first story of the next season had been lost up until a couple months ago when they actually put out an animated version, so Mm. we're going to be able to cover that. I've never seen it, and I'm holding Uh off because I want to watch it for the first time when we talk about it, so that should be interesting. Very good. But today, we are talking about the Time Meddler. <laughs> and, uh, I, would, you know, once again, I'm curious to see what you think. I don't want to tip my feelings. <laughs> so yeah. We'll just have to see how it goes. So, let's move on to the first episode, The Watcher. So, we left things after the chase last time, when the awesome Mechanoids fought the lame Daleks. <laughs> And it's clear which monster is going to be famous going forward. Am I
2: right? (laughs) (laughs) Time will tell.
1: (laughs) And, of course, tragically, Ian and Barbara return to Earth, leaving the doctor with your least favorite companion, Vicky. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, what do you have against this innocent girl who was terrorized by a giant insect costume for so many years?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I think it's pretty clear at this point that she's a homewrecker. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the home being the TARDIS, and uh, you know she she uh, immediately comes in and replaces Susan, and you know she's only been here for part of a season, and already she's driven away Barbara and Ian. So I don't know. I think I, <laughs> I think she's just she's got her little angle she's working.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we see her looking at an old clock in the TARDIS, and. She's missing Ian and Barbara, and so is the doctor. And he seems offended that they took their first opportunity to leave him, which is also true to William Hartnell. I mean, he, you know, he's an old guy who's an actor who's used to the uncertainties of actors and he, of being an actor. And so it's really confusing to him that you would be on a hit TV show and leave it. I mean, he just doesn't yeah. understand that,
2: right? So yeah. this uh, this might be a good opportunity. I don't think we ever did discuss what the behind-the-scenes the doily-in reason for uh, <laughs> the characters Ian and Barbara leaving was that the actors really did just want to go? Or?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, and I have to admit, I haven't read up on this recently, so I'm having to recall old memories. But, yeah, I think they just felt like, you know, you, you're on a show for a couple of years and you move on to something else. I mean, when you think about it, if you're like a BBC actor... You're really used to, like, oh, I'm going to be in this historical movie, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. You know, you don't think of it, especially quite at that time, as, oh, I'm going to get on a TV show and be on it for 10 years. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that happened much later. I mean, they do have these long-running kind of soap operas in England, like East End and such, which our friend Toby... Is on, He's East on uh, Coronation Street, I believe. Oh, Coronation Street. Well, thank you. Probably. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> oh, I don't know these shows.
2: <laughs> I haven't seen them. Yeah. I, I could be wrong, too. It's
1: Here's just, what I'm going to promise you. We're never going to do all episodes of Coronation Street or East Enders. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> You know, I just think that that they just felt like, well, after a little while, you go on and do something else, right? Hmm. Um I don't—I'm not aware that there was, like, any big drama or anything. Okay. Other than Hartnell being annoyed (laughs) at people leaving.
2: Yeah, he seems like he'd be any guy to work with, I would think, but, uh (laughs) Well, well,
1: he was a little challenging. (laughs) uh, So— the doctor and Vicky related kind of to what we're talking about, they discuss why Vicky is staying with the doctor when they start hearing a noise from the living quarters. Maybe Guy's yeah. prediction at the end of the last story may come true.
2: Yeah, I was starting to wonder that myself at this point. <laughs> <man>. <laughs>
1: so you had predicted that Stephen was a stowaway.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Vicky tells the doctor to be careful because it might be a Dalek, so he takes off his coat and holds it in front of him. And she takes off a shoe and holds it in her hand. And I'm like, what makes you think these are effective defenses against
0: the (laughs) tower?
2: Oh, maybe it's one of those things where if you can't see it, it can't see you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But no, it is a disheveled Steven, the astronaut from the last episode, who staggers in with this panda doll and collapses unconscious. (laughs) And while that's happening, the TARDIS lands on a coast somewhere, and we see a cliff above the TARDIS, and there's a monk there. And he's looking at the TARDIS, and he's intrigued, but interestingly, he doesn't seem to be shocked.
2: Yeah, If I remember correctly, I think he says something like, I wonder, something along (laughs) those lines. And now we
1: actually have, I think, the Doctor gets some great lines in this script. Uh, Starting one year, he's talking to Stephen, and he says, there are two things you can do. One, sit there until you get your breath back. And two, don't call me Doc.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Steven feels like he must have been hallucinating because when he found the TARDIS, it seemed very small on the outside. And so, you know, we know how all this goes. <laughs> and yeah. We'll go every time someone joins.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: interestingly, even though he's an astronaut, so he's into space, you know, he refuses to accept that it's a time machine.
0: Which, uh,
2: fair enough. I mean, if if they... Time machines haven't been invented in his era. Uh, you know, would seem a little unlikely.
1: So he kind of challenges the doctor, and the doctor gets another great line here. That Stephen wants to know how things work if it's a time machine. And the doctor says, "Well, that is the dematerializing control, and that over yonder is the horizontal hold, and that is the scanner." Those are the doors. That is a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry, my dear boy. <laughs> I just love the, the, that's a chair with a panda on it. <laughs> yeah.
2: And that is, uh, that is Hi-Fi, the mascot of uh,
1: Stephen's old ship. <laughs> and they now spend the next three minutes or so explaining the TARDIS to him. <laughs> Fortunately, this, you know, whole thing goes down over time. And, you know, we shortcut it for future people joining Nonetheless, Stephen doesn't believe that it's a time machine. When the doctor announces they landed on the planet Earth. Maybe they're going to see Ian and Barbara already. Maybe. <laughs> and we see some logs burning. And a woman puts a pot on top of the logs. Now, Guy, did you recognize this woman?
2: I did not. I have to <laughs> say I didn't recognize her.
1: Well, we saw her in the very first story, the caveman story. She was her.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: <no kidding> how <laughs> couldn't?
1: Yeah, kind of the the girlfriend is getting traded among the leaders and everything. You know, the actress I think we talked about. Then maybe she was considered a real kind of firecracker of an actress. She really had an edge, and people liked her a lot. She had a lot of trouble getting a relationship, possibly because she was a firecracker. <laughs> hmm. And she unfortunately she died pretty young, so she never hmm. got a chance to kind of make it all work out. But she did get a couple chances to be in Doctor Who. Yeah.
2: A form of immortality,
0: at least. Yeah,
1: totally. So there are some people standing around in kind of primitive sackcloth clothing, and a man comes in to report that something landed on the beat. And the something is a very big box, you know, probably washed up from a ship. <laughs> so two of the men head out to the beach to see if they can get something from this box. And outside the TARDIS, Vicky has found a Viking-style helmet, although in a previous episode, Guy spoiled for me that Viking helmets didn't actually look like Viking helmets.
2: Ah, okay. I'm glad you remember that, because I was going to bring it up again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And she shows the Doctor, and he decides they must be in the 10th or 11th century England, which Stephen's not buying. And we get another great Doctor line. When Stephen is skeptical that it's a Viking helmet, the Doctor says... What do you think it is, a space helmet for a cow? (laughs) (laughs) Now, Stephen, to his credit, is getting a little more convinced that the TARDIS is a time machine. But if it is, shouldn't the Doctor know where they are and when they are? And now, of course, the Doctor and Vicky have to explain they can't control it. And Stephen immediately realizes this means they can't take him home. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> sort of I, starting the whole Ian Barber thing over again.
2: <laughs> I think Vicky says something to the effect that, well, uh, maybe, maybe by chance, or something like that. <laughs> it's not exactly what she says, but she, she, she gets the grim reality across to him.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And the crew continues to debate all this while the doctor rolls pebbles down a rock, and it turns out that the monk we saw is hiding at the base of the rock, listening to them. They debate where to go, and we get a classic Billy fluff. He says, I'm not a mountain goat, and I prefer walking to any day, and I hate climbing.
2: It <laughs> took me a minute to figure out what the intention was there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love, uh, I prefer walking to any day.
0: <laughs>
1: and so he goes off without Steven and Vicky because, of course, splitting up is always a good plan when you're in a new strange place. This is Doctor Who. <laughs> And Stephen and Vicky head off somewhere else, and the monk takes the opportunity to rush to the TARDIS. And he can't get in, but he puts his head to the door, and he seems satisfied by something he realizes. Meanwhile, it's gotten dark, When the doctor is exploring a hut he's found, and he finds an arrow and then a bow. Outside, he hears animals howling, so he goes outside to look, and a spear suddenly appears near his throat. We then see the monk walking in the darkness among the howling. He seems happy about something. He goes into a building, we see a light and a window turn on, and then we hear monkish chanting. Mm. And now we're back to the two men who were originally looking for the TARDIS on the beach. It seems to be gone now, they figure it was crushed against the rocks. And that woman we saw previously, her, uh, <laughs> who used to be previously her, pours some mead into a horn and brings it to the doctor. So apparently she was the one who found him and threatened him with a spear. Now, going by what we saw in the Aztecs, once he drinks the mead, I assume they are married. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that'd have to be cocoa. <laughs>
1: uh, they can hear the chanting of the monks, and the doctor asks her about the monastery, and she says the sound changes direction sometimes depending on the wind. Then they discuss the recent Viking invasions that have been repelled, and the doctor is feeling her out for when this is, and he mentions various kings' names. And he ends up querying about when the good King Edward died. And she says it was the beginning of the year. And I looked this up because, you know, I don't know anything about this stuff. King Edward ruled for 24 years, which was quite long. He was killed in 1066, which, you know, you might be familiar. is kind of the year that's considered, I think, the beginning of modern England. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was replaced by Harold Godwinson, who was pretty quickly killed by the Normans, who were the people who invaded England at that time and you know, I think the result of their invasion of England sort of created modern England. At least that's my take on it. And 1066 mm. is considered a really critical year. Yeah. So, of course, naturally, that's where the crew, the TARDIS crew would find themselves.
2: <laughs> and I did a little bit of research, and 1066, by some people, is considered the end of the early medieval period.
1: Mm. The doctor suddenly verifies with her that they were in Northumbria. So I think, you know, England wasn't necessarily a name yet, although... With the Romans, they did, what did they call it? They called it?
2: In Assassin's Creed Valhalla, England's (laughs) divided up into a lot of districts. There's like Kent and there's, uh, I don't know, Shropshire and uh, Leicestershire and I don't know, a whole bunch of, you know, regional areas. So, yeah. Well,
1: I'll take their word for it. (laughs) Now the doctor hears more monastery chanting. And at one point the chanting suddenly slows down in a weird, distorted way. <laughs> and clearly this means something to the doctor and immediately calls for a woman because <laughs> he's a modern male. <laughs> he asks her the way to the monastery. And she tells him it was deserted for years before the last few years. And they've only actually seen one monk who kind of showed up out of nowhere. And so he's all intrigued by this. And so he heads off to the monastery. Meanwhile, Stephen and Vicky are lost. And they hear someone. They have very different approaches. Stephen thinks they should just go and talk to the person, and Vicky says no. They should follow him, and she holds him back and asks, "Supposing you do what I say for once?" As we'll see you here, Vicky kind of definitely asserts her control in this story. Mm-hmm. And a man with a staff passes them, and he finds something on the ground. And Stephen lets his instincts get the better of him and runs out and confronts the guy and fights with him. And the guy runs off, but Stephen got the thing he found, and guess what? It's a modern watch.
2: Yeah, and it's it's really inappropriate. I mean, this guy's just walking by. He finds something, (laughs) and Stephen basically jumps out and attacks him. I mean, the guy would have been well within his rights to just give him a dagger in the heart and be done with him.
1: Yeah, that's true, especially since he was stealing from him, yeah. Uh, Stephen's, you know, really happy to get this watch and he shows it to Vicky and says, you still say this is 10th century England. <laughs> Meanwhile, the doctor reaches the monastery and he finds a way in through a side door and he explores the building until <laughs> shock. He finds an old style phonograph. Now, it was, I, I don't know how old style it was when this was filmed, but to, you know, us it'd be very, cause it's got that, that sort of horn right. that, you know, that you then uh, put the, you know, you put the needle down. Mm -hmm. that it plays to the horn. But it turns out the chanting is a vinyl record.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And clearly the doctor has realized something. He's very amused. He's cackling to himself in the classic William Hartnell doctor way. (laughs) But then wooden bars crash down behind him and imprison him. And the monk we've been seeing comes up holding a huge candle and laughs an evil laugh. (laughs) And it's the end of the episode.
2: And, uh... Just so the listeners are up to speed, uh, we should mention that uh, the, the phonograph had not been invented in 1066.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Though uh, vinyl records had been, oddly enough. But <laughs> <that's> <laughs> <laughs> <a little story.
0: laughs>
1: they sat around for thousands of years until someone could figure out how to play them. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, well, next up, episode two The Meddling Monk. <laughs>
2: All right, episode two. I should mention that I have some reference material from Chrissy's transcripts site. It's just a collection of scripts, and I often find it useful to refer to. I have watched this episode twice now, so I'm not (laughs) cheating. I just like to have a little extra intellectual uh, reference there. (laughs) So it starts off with a recap of what happened with the portcullis coming down, locking the doctor behind it. And the monk really, I mean, he he has an annoying laugh. It's just (laughs) taunting the doctor. It would be a a bit of a provocation if you were the guy trapped behind the portcullis. But then we see the monk is making a nice breakfast. He makes some eggs, uh, he makes some toast, and I'm going to take your word for it that it was English muffins. It was kind of hard for me (laughs) to tell. It looked like it to
1: me. But I also, I mean, the important point here, too, is... He's using modern appliances for all this, right? He has, like, an electric skillet. And, yeah, he has you know, a toaster. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. And uh, it's not clear. You never hear a gas generator running, so I'm not sure what's up with that. But maybe the following. I also
1: wasn't clear. I mean, assuming we're in 1066, I'm not sure how he got the toast or the English muffins, right? I mean,
2: <laughs> this yeah. was,
1: uh, you know, I, yeah, maybe he was good at uh, at that kind of thing. I don't know.
2: <laughs> Yeah, maybe he brought them with him. We st- they're still well. Yeah, you you know fun, a fun. lot more about this guy's backstory <laughs> than I do. I haven't that's seen fun, the yeah. last two episodes yet, but uh, for whatever reason, he has uh, he has English muffins. Actually, I think I think they're called crumpets in England, mm-hmm. and, and I think mm-hmm. they're slightly different from our English muffins, but pretty similar. But anyway, it's a nice breakfast, which uh, is yeah. sort of surprising to see this guy try it. He may have also burned the English muffins, I'm not sure <laughs> Yeah, about that's that. true. <laughs> <laughs> but he made an effort anyway. He takes it to the cell. He opens up the door just a crack and slides the tray in on the floor. And then he opens the window to, to yell in there after he's closed the door again. He opens the window to tell the doctor that he should... Eat his eggs before they get cold. And uh, the thanks he gets for that is the doctor throws tea through the window and the door right into the <laughs> monk's face. Which might just be a delayed payback for that uh, taunting laughter that he gave but him
1: before. I thought it was amazingly ungrateful. I have been in very nice hotels that didn't serve a breakfast. As nice as that, right? <laughs> It's not what you expect in a prison. And so I thought that was a little ungrateful. But I'll yeah. had the question for you here. Well... Do you notice the little secret of this episode that starts at this point?
2: <laughs> the secret of the episode that starts at this point. Hmm, let's see.
1: Well, no, go to your next note here and maybe we'll, okay, we'll figure we'll, it out. We hear the doctor
2: <laughs> say, Go away. I'll come out when I'm ready. Uh, Do you see
1: the doctor? <laughs>
2: You don't see him, but it's pretty mm-hmm. clearly Hartnell's voice, I think. Well, maybe, yeah. then again, maybe it's not. No, I mean, it's Hartnell's voice. Oh, okay. But
1: just notice that uh-huh. you're not going to see Hartnell in this episode. <laughs> uh-huh. so, so, since you didn't notice, uh-huh. they did a pretty good job. We actually haven't had someone on vacation for a while. Oh, uh-huh. uh, one yeah. of those deals. Okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I did not did not catch that. <laughs> So then we see somewhere out in the out in the forest, we see these early medieval peasants. And this is the last year when they can be early medievals. Well, depending on <laughs> what historian you're talk to, I guess. And they're wandering through the forest and you see one of them point off into the distance. They've spotted Vicky and Stephen. And all through my notes, I just wrote down Steve. So <laughs> if I call them Vicky and Steve, well, that's... Uh, You're just going to have to live with it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And here I want to point out a fun fact that uh, (laughs) is not relevant at all, but since I had just finished writing Vicki and Steve, I went and looked up whether Steve Lawrence and Vicki Lawrence were related, and it turns out that they're not, at least not obviously. But neither of them was named Lawrence (laughs) at birth. So, now we know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... Steven has returned from foraging. <laughs> he found blackberries and he offers some to Vicky. I guess it would be too strong to say that she seems disgusted by them, but she doesn't seem interested at all. She just kinda laughs, laughs at them when he shows them to her. So more blackberries for him. That's good. <laughs> they speculate about this watch that they found, and that it might be the doctor's, though Vicky didn't think he had a watch, but she wasn't a hundred percent sure.
1: Yeah, and Stephen's really still holding it over her. This is his total proof that they're not actually traveling in time. Yeah.
2: You know. <laughs> so those villagers we saw at the beginning of the scene, pointing off into the distance, now they appear, and one of them holds a knife to Vicky's throat, which is pretty effective introduction to their kidnapping. Back at the monastery, meanwhile, the monk looks at his wrist as he emerges from the monastery, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, it's like he, he was trying to consult something that might have been on his wrist, uh, like a watch or something like that. Uh, but it's not there. So he walks a little distance from the monastery, and we see Edith, who is, uh, who is the lady from the village who helped the doctor uh, with the gift of mead earlier. Uh, she shows up with another lady. Uh, and they have a picnic basket, uh, you know, basket of food. And this is uh, this is kind of funny because it's still a- ambiguous about what kind of guy this monk is, you know. Mm. On the one hand, he got the obnoxious laughter, On the other hand, he makes a real nice breakfast.
0: <laughs>
2: Here, this this poor peasant woman who's, who's giving this guy stuff out of her, you know, probably meager stores. Mm. She says, "I'm sorry, Father. It's poor fare for the likes of you." And he says, <laughs> he replies, "Yes." But don't distress yourself, my child. We must all be prepared to make sacrifices when they're asked of us. So, so his sacrifice is accepting this poor fare from this peasant woman who means well. <laughs> so, uh, kind of a jerk in this scene. Uh, and further, he doesn't even make chit-chat with them. He just sort of... Uh, Implies, or you know, he mentions study in solitude, and uh,
1: yeah, he's sort of like, Oh, I'm called to study in solitude. I can't, he says, like, yeah. literally, I can't stand around and pass the time of day with you. It's like, <laughs> screw, screw you, people. Yeah,
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, he gives them the old brush off. Then after they've gone, he, he pulls out some binoculars uh, again, probably something that was not around in 1066. <laughs> he looks off into the distance and he, he sees nothing of interest. In the monastery, the doctor pounds on his cell door, and the doctor says, open this door, open this door, will you? Open it. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's all there is to that little cutaway. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you yeah, the doctor should know that's not going to persuade anybody. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, it fills a few, few moments anyway. We go back to the monk, and he's making himself comfortable on a windy cliff. Uh, he's trying to line up some pinches of snuff on his hand but the wind blows him away. He looks through the binoculars again, and this time he spots a Viking longship. This looks like a real ship that was Mm -hmm. built for, probably not for this production. I'm guessing it's footage they took from something else that the BBC made.
1: Yep, that's exactly what it is.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) See, I'm getting the rope, or getting the hang of the (laughs) (laughs) doctor. When the monk sees this, he says, at last, at last.
1: (laughs) Although... It's a little insulting to the show to say, "Oh, that looks good." Must not have been from this show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they 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 do some real nice stuff uh, with the resources they have. They they don't always, but a lot of the time they do. But in this case, this is actually a working, functioning ship. Yeah, at and sea. you're actually
1: seeing yeah. it out on the water. So you know, you can just imagine the hassle and expense of that. So yeah, it's not something yeah. a TV show could just do. <laughs>
2: In the village of the uh, of the peasants, <laughs> uh,
1: in the village, in the village, you just gave me flashbacks. <laughs> Previous uh, season we had.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, I'm not getting the reference, offhand. It'll cripple the village. Be... Come on, here it goes. oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's not a good joke. It was no, no, like... <laughs> that's that, that's good. It just, yeah, it uh, had to wrap my head around it for a second there. Very good. <laughs> what was I oh uh I just watched last night uh the Pentaverit, hey. which is um it's a cute show it's a, it gets a little bit preachy but it's 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 funny it's cute uh, but they they modeled they used basically the same typeface as they did in the prisoner which turned out to be a modified version of Albertus
0: <laughs>
2: so this is this is that that same font, but they're they're using a slightly different style guide, like the capital E's are different yeah. or something like that. But anyway, uh, that's <laughs> just a digression since we were talking about the prisoner there. <laughs> Back in the village, the native or the peasant village, I guess they are natives also, Steve and Vicky Stephen and, <laughs> and Vicky are made to sit down on a bench outside of a hut. And it seems that Stephen is starting to get convinced now. He thinks that these are very convincing Saxons. Yeah. And in the finest Doctor Who tradition, we've seen this happen <laughs> many a time. Two villagers, in particular, Woolnoth, who's the head of the village, and Eldred, who is the suspicious one, these two argue over whether these outsiders can be trusted.
1: Oh, yeah. And I bet one of them does, and one of them doesn't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wolnoth, the, the mayor type, he seems to be want to be friendly. But Eldred, after some discussion, suddenly he moves as if he's going to attack Stephen. But Edith is at hand, and she yells at him. And that, uh... Makes him halt long enough that she can address Stephen and Vicky, and she asks whether they're looking for an old man with long white hair that would be the doctor. <laughs> and she's the one well, I think I said she, she gave him the mead earlier. There's more discussion after that, and Aldred still remains skeptical. And finally Eldred yells, he says, Woolnoth, I do not trust them. And Stephen says, well, I'm not mad about you either.
0: <laughs>
2: I thought that was cute. Wolnoth makes a command decision. Edith is going to get Vicki some food for the Traveler's Journey, and they'll be out of their hair, and Eldred can stop One complaining.
1: The, you know, uh, a few years ago, I started really getting into cooking, and I like earlier when they brought the food to the monk, and, and now um, I take it so much more seriously now because you think about what was involved in preparing food Especially before you had modern appliances, I mean, mm-hmm. to give a person a gift of food was a huge gift, right? Oh, I mean, sure. this is hours and hours of, of, you know, labor to produce this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Oh yeah, and uh, and these villagers, um, aside from Eldred being suspicious and grumpy, uh, I think I don't think we've seen anything to make us think badly of the villagers. They've been nothing yeah. but hospitable. <laughs>
1: It's funny. There is a in our modern day this this whole meme article. I haven't actually read it, going around on Twitter and everything, where it breaks uh, breaks down which countries people give food to guests in. <laughs> Apparently, in Sweden, and I'm Swedish, so I guess I'm guilty. They don't <laughs> give get food to their guests. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a whole lot of debate about why that is, et cetera. But it's certainly not, you know, I didn't get that gene because I certainly do. So
2: So if you're going to Sweden, bring a sandwich.
1: (laughs) Well, literally, the worst I heard was someone said, I went to visit like her best friend and it was dinner time and they made her sit in her best friend's, bedroom while they all ate as a family <laughs> oh nice
0: <laughs>
1: so yeah these uh these ancient villagers had a much you know more a much nicer approach to things
2: <laughs> although when i made that remark about having seen nothing that would you know offend us about the villagers i i completely overlooked the part where they held the knife to vicky's throat but Aside from that, though there well you know like.
1: stranger danger
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah they they didn't have yeah they, they they had their reasons anyway, inside the hut, Edith tells Vicky that the doctor was headed for the monastery, and then back outside the hut uh, there's an awkward goodbye, it's kind of uh, kind of amusing uh Stephen apparently has no social graces at all oh uh, <laughs> well,
1: he's been alone for a couple of years, sort of like he'd gone through a pandemic or something. But. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> and Vicky has to prompt him first to say thank you for the food. And then the villagers say, God be with you. And he just kind of stands there and stares. So finally <laughs> uh, she prompts him to say that and uh, he does. And he wanders off. They wander off uh, towards the monastery. And uh, Edith and Wolnoth watch them leave. Um, and they have looks on their faces that Betray their thoughts, which mm-hmm. are that uh, these guys are pretty weird.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wilnoth says it's time to go work in the fields. Everybody's going to go out and work together. Uh, mm-hmm. But Eldred pauses, and he uh, he casts a dark look in the direction mm-hmm. that the uh, travelers have gone off. Next, we see the top of a cliff. It's like we're, we're looking over the cliff, but not actually. We don't see what's beyond it. We just see the cliff and the sky. Two grappling hooks fly up over the edge of it, and they both get purchase on the rocks there. Soon enough, a guy in a helmet with big wings on the top. Uh, <laughs> they're not really sticking out to the sides like uh, like gremlin ears. They're more like above it, uh, sort of like, I don't know, with the wings from an angel's back, you know, if they're folded, but they're sticking up. I don't know. Probably yeah, I thought more... the
1: helmets we see here are pretty cool, actually, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. And then three more guys come up uh, after him on the climbing ropes. The head viking tells the other three to go south and reconnoiter, and if they find a village, uh, get provisions from it. And preferably they should try to do all that without being seen.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: It comes out in his conversation that they're working on behalf of King Harold Hardrada. And uh, I didn't research him too much because I didn't want to spoil the story for myself. (laughs) But uh, it appears that some people feel he was the last great Viking ruler. So Mm -hmm. there's a little context anyway. Back at the monastery, Steve and Vicki arrive, and the monk answers the door. The monk lies about not having any strangers visit for many a day. Mm -hmm. He goes back inside after a brief conversation. He's uh, ostensibly going back in to ask the other monks, quote, other monks, unquote, (laughs) if they've uh, they've seen anyone lately. While he's inside, uh, Stephen and Vicki discuss the monk. Stephen says he doesn't believe the monk and he has a plan he wants to try when the monk returns. Mm. We get a little glimpse of the monk eavesdropping right behind the door. He hasn't gone anywhere inside except right behind the door. Mm. And then he emerges... Uh, having heard about Stephen's little plan, <laughs> and it, the little plan is not terribly sophisticated. <laughs> Stephen just, um, you know, he's they're getting ready to depart and say their goodbyes, and Stephen says, uh, "Are you sure you'll remember his description?" And the monk, uh, the monk falls for it or seems to. He says, "Long white hair, a black cloak, and rather strange check trousers." <laughs> Steve confirms, ah, yep, you've got it. The monk uh, returns inside, and uh, Steve and Vicky stand right outside the door and discuss uh, what they've uh, just been through. Vicki, uh, after a moment's thought, she thinks it was too easy. She says, I don't think we've been as clever as we think we have.
1: <laughs> now, here's the deal. So, you know, she's probably right. Probably the monk wasn't fooled, but... Even though Stephen and Vicky weren't around at the time, if you recall Keys of Marinus, there was a key point in uh, like the last story, the one with the murder there, where they figured out that the the woman was lying because she told exactly this kind of thing. She told them something. That she shouldn't have known. Oh,
0: so, right. You know, right.
2: Uh, that, so
1: it it is you know it has been the case before that this has fooled somebody. But yes.
2: <laughs> uh, it took me a moment to think of uh, you know I haven't thought of those last episodes for a while. She was like dating one of the like the prosecutor. She was the or wife something. of the guy who got killed, and then yeah. it turned out
1: she killed him. Yeah. Anyway, you can go back to the keys and Marinus <laughs> coverage if you want to figure out what that's all about but yeah, anyway I we have seen this work before <laughs> you know no, i I, re- yeah. I
2: remember the 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 deal now because she was like dating the prosecutor they had mm. a little plan going but to... mm. anyway yeah i can listen to the podcast again if i want to <laughs> refresh her <laughs> so vicky and steve uh, Stephen decide uh they're going to break in after dark um But then we see, as they walk away, there's a slow zoom in on the door, which suggests that the monk is still eavesdropping (laughs) right behind it.
1: And now, you know, learning what we do about how these things work, and they were basically filming live, they could have shown him listening again, which might have been repetitive, but it also means they might have needed him somewhere else, so they just used (laughs) this shot so that he didn't actually have to be there while he was, you know, getting in place for the next shot or whatever. Oh,
2: sure. Yeah. (laughs) So back in the village, uh, Edith hears a noise outside her hut, and she grabs a spear and goes to investigate. Um, But as she gets a little distance from the hut, one of the Vikings drops quietly out of a tree right behind her, and he grabs her. And then we see the other two Vikings heading towards the door of the hut. Uh, back at the monastery, we just get a quick glimpse of uh, Stephen and Vicky casing the joint. And uh, as you just mentioned, this might be another one of those things where it's just put in there to allow a, a more elaborate scene change. Yeah, true. Because soon enough, we see the village again where we just were. And now Woolnoth is coming back uh, from working in the fields, presumably. He sees there are some scattered pots on the ground outside of his hut, and he rushes inside. Inside is just Edith. She looks dead at first. She's lying there with her eyes open, but we'll find out soon that she is alive, but she's in shock, uh, almost catatonic, but she can okay. speak, as we'll find this is shortly.
1: pretty disturbing, the whole mm-hmm. thing about this, both the implications of what clearly happened and the way she's reacting. And we get, again, you know, you know, we try not to say it back to, Oh, and this is a kid show.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's almost a, uh, well, it's, uh, it is it is a cliche, actually, I guess, that the, yeah. you know, the Vikings would go raping and pillaging. And uh, yeah. it certainly suggested that that's what happened here.
1: And I think to the show's credit, you know, there's so many things in these decades where they would kind of make light of this sort of thing or not, tr- whatever. They clearly treat this really seriously.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not played for laughs. That's for sure. She's uh, she's got some uh, some dirt or maybe blood on her face, and she looks like she might be dead. But she's mm-hmm. just she's just stunned and horrified. And at this inopportune moment, Eldred more or less says, "I told you so." I mean, mm-hmm. he, he tries to soften it a little bit, but. Uh, you know, not as much as keeping his mouth shut would have. And, and for
1: Claire to hear, he's telling, he's saying that Stephen and Vicky and the doctor did this. Yeah, that he was right yeah.
2: about these uh, these strangers all along. They were. Yeah. We never should have trusted him. And Wolnoth interrupts him, and he says in a very high pitched, emotional voice, "Get the in! Wolnoth asks Edith who did it, and uh, after a moment, she finally forces out the word Vikings. In the forest, we see the Vikings are going merrily through the forest, laughing about their antics. And they've been drinking. As a person of Scandinavian descent, I can say that... uh, Well, this is an insulting depiction, but it's also (laughs) fairly accurate, at least in my case. So
1: I'm I'm Swedish originally. What what are you? Are are we Um, friends or enemies? I don't
2: know. (laughs) No, I'm of Norwegian descent Mm. myself, so we're we're a little bit above you. Yeah, Yeah, we can put up with the cold temperatures. You know, we don't have those tropical climes of Sweden. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I've never been to Norway or Sweden in my life. (laughs) Anyway, these these Vikings have been drinking. Suddenly there's hollering, and the villagers attack out of the woods. And this fight goes on for a minute, uh, and it's mostly pretty standard. There's nothing too exceptional about it, except uh, it does have what has to be mm-hmm. one of the slowest axe swings <laughs> ever recorded on video. It,
0: uh,
1: yeah, I think what we're seeing here is that unlike sometimes they didn't have the time or budget or whatever to do a separate fight choreography where we kind of switch over to film and, you know, it was mm-hmm. directed by a fight director and, and, you know, et cetera. It's like, clearly they were just using the people they had and the set they had, and mm-hmm. they had to just, you know, literally act slowly. In fact, one of the things I learned, uh, both watching and being involved in stage productions is when you're doing, say a play, You learn the fight choreography so well that they can say, okay, you need to do this at 75% or 50%. And when that comes into play in terms of speed, Mm -hmm. and when that comes into play, is like one night I was watching, um, a play and it was raining and it was an outdoor theater. And they came out and said, we just want you to know, because it's raining, you know, all of the combat and action is going to be done at a slowed down pace, Mm -hmm. um, and that's when you know the actors have really rehearsed and know their stuff, when they can do it at different speeds. Right?
2: Uh, 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 that's pretty cool. Huh, I did not know that. So the fight goes on for just not too long. I'd say about a minute. But uh, finally, one uh, one Viking tells the other, go, the other one is Ulf, uh, that Gunnar is dead, and the two survivors make a break for it. Eldred and Wolnoth of the village contingent have survived, uh, but they can't chase after these Vikings because Eldred, uh, he's the suspicious one. Uh, he's wounded and bleeding. Maybe he's not Maybe. so suspicious now that he sees there's actual Viking. <laughs> but then again, in his original discussion, he had suspected that Stephen and Vicky were spies for the Vikings. So yeah. he, he may very well still believe yeah. exactly what he did before.
1: I think our experience is usually these bad guys don't learn anything. So, you know, <laughs> he probably does believe he was right all along.
2: Yeah. Well, we've still got two more episodes to go, so we'll see. <laughs> Woolnoth says the monastery is closer than the village, so they're going to head for that. Back at the monastery, Stephen and Vicky sneak in through a window. Uh, and there's a cute little gag here. Each says, follow me, and they go off in two different directions. Uh, yeah. So finally, Stephen turns back and he follows Vicki.
1: Yeah, as I said, she's really, you know, she's the boss in this
0: story. So.
2: <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I, I'll say, you know, this is probably be something to save for the end. But since I'm thinking of it now, I may as well say it. I think I am with this episode. I'm starting to, or with this story arc, maybe I'm, I'm warming up a little bit more to Vicky. Uh I mean, you know, I, I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting not to resent her for uh, <laughs> getting rid of Susan so much. Right. Um, well,
1: and I think it, it's interesting that this is the first time she doesn't have the shadow of the others over her. Right. So she gets to play more of a role and develop the character more and, you know, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's managed to, she's managed to eliminate all the competition. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But no, I, I am, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still at the point where I'm going to say she's no Susan, but, uh, (laughs) you know, at least uh, she's, I'm 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 less hostile than I was. So, so I'm
1: going to make one of those mysterious future statements. I'm just going to say, "Wait till you see her replacement."
2: <laughs> oh, jeez! I mean, we only got one more season of Hardin, right? How many How many people do they go through for preach sake?
0: <laughs> that
1: would be telling. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. <laughs> okay, so the muck puts on the record of chance again. Uh, he makes sure that the portcullis is reset so we can trap some new suckers. And he's hiding behind a column in the monastery. He's watching Stephen and Vicky sneak around when there's suddenly a knock at the door. And it's the it's the two men from the village, Eldred and Wolnoth. So he starts heading towards the door while Stephen and Vicky find the record player. But unlike Doctor, unlike the Doctor, forgive me, uh, <laughs> although although I do reserve the right to just call him Doctor Who, now that it's in the canon.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, Terry Nation doesn't get to decide that. But okay.
2: <laughs> so unlike unlike the Doctor, they don't interfere with the record player. They observe it. They uh, I think they even chuckle at it a little, but they don't interfere, and that means that the the monk never comes to trigger the portcullis for mm-hmm. them. Soon enough they find the cell door, and Stephen opens the window. He says it's the doctor. I think he's asleep." And it turns out that Stephen is a lock picker he <laughs> uh, he's got uh, some kind of implement uh, in the in the script uh, that I got from Chrissy's script site uh, it says uh, it was a penknife I think i yeah. I couldn't tell that clearly from what I was seeing, but uh Sounds as plausible, It's probably more likely than that he would have a (laughs) lockpick, being an astronaut and all. Mm -hmm. So meanwhile, the monk is answering the door, and he says to the man, by all means, bring him in, uh, with a very notable lack of enthusiasm.
1: Yeah, (laughs) for being a monk, he seems to have an interesting attitude. Maybe we'll figure (laughs) (laughs) something out about that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's almost tempting to think he might not really be a monk.
0: Oh wow! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Meanwhile, Stephen and Vicky get into the cell, and under the blanket is a heap of wolf pelts. <laughs> Not the doctor, as they anticipated. <laughs> Vicky says, "He's gone. He's gone," and that's the end of the episode.
1: <laughs> so let's do a you know mid-story check-in here. First of all. You know, I think actually, and it is is—it is sort of confirmed by the fact that, that you didn't really notice, which I don't think is a criticism of you. I think they actually did a pretty good job of not having the Doctor in this episode and not making it feel awkward, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you hear his voice a couple times, but everything else going on, it doesn't feel like, oh, we're missing the Doctor. Like You're just watching the stuff that's happening, you know?
2: Yeah, they threw enough interesting stuff into this episode that it really... um as you said, I I didn't really notice the doctor wasn't around for the whole episode. It's uh, it's just a uh, it was it was an intriguing episode. It still had its filler moments, but uh, uh, still very entertaining. And,
0: yeah. Well,
1: and one of the things uh, I love about this story is it kind of develops itself slowly. So so right now we have a lot of questions. We don't have a lot of answers. I don't know mm-hmm. what what. So what is your take at this? at the halfway point of
2: the story. (laughs) Well, I know the monk was waiting for the Vikings for some reason. Um, (laughs) I don't know what the reason was. It's pretty obvious that the monk is uh, from the future. I mean, between the electric toaster and the record player (laughs) and the, uh, and the fact that the story arc is called the time meddler. Although, (laughs) Although that could be the name of, uh, Any episode that included the Doctor, I guess. Yeah,
0: Yeah,
1: but I will say, for a story that develops very slowly and has all these secrets, the title is rather a spoiler. (laughs) But yeah, I think... uh, I feel like, uh, from what you've said, and I agree, like, this is one that just pulls you in, and you don't know everything that's going on, and there's intriguing mysteries, and they're not just revealing it too quickly. I really... Enjoy this one and and mm-hmm. um you'll see what you think of the the next couple and Do you I, have any well, you've said the Monk is from the future uh any other predictions you would make at this point hmm,
2: I guess there could be some point where Eldred screws things up by getting all <laughs> hot headed what else um hmm, anything else well the Vikings, well, oh oh, oh, I bet I know it's gonna be an <laughs> apocalypto type ending because, well, did you ever see apocalypto? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. well, basically,, um, I don't want to give away the ending of it, but i'm gonna I'm gonna guess that at the ending, when all this all this intrigue is going on between the Vikings and the you know the TARDIS crowd and the monk and the villagers and all that, um, all of a sudden, uh, the Normans are going to invade, and it's going to be a whole new ball game.
0: <laughs> so that's
2: going to be my theory.
1: Episode 3, A Battle of Wits. And we get a reprise of the end of last week's episode in which Vicky and Stephen get into the doctor's cell only to find that he's managed to escape. The monk brings the two locals, one of whom is wounded, to a room and says to make the wounded guy comfortable and he'll be back to tend his wounds. And Vicky and Stephen debate how the doctor got out of the locked cell. Vicky's sure it's a secret passage. And there's this little theme, right, where Vicky always has an idea and Stephen always shoots it down. <laughs> and then at least in this story, it turns out to be accurate. So Stephen is skeptical that there's a passage where they scour the walls and find a loose stone, which opens a door. And I'm not sure this is the best way for him to concede. He says, who's a clever girl
2: then? <laughs> 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 at, at, at first... When she found that passage, I, w- I was thinking, well, that's a poorly designed cell. But uh, mm-hmm. since it's a monastery and not a prison, that probably was mm-hmm. originally a monk's living quarters or something <laughs> like that.
1: Yeah. So after they've gone into the passage and closed it behind them, the monk comes into the room. And he <laughs> there's a funny little bit here, and then there's going to be a callback later on. He sees that the doctor's not in the room, and he assumes he's hiding behind the door. So he does this sort of spy-like maneuver where he leaps around <laughs> to you know, catch him behind the door. Um, but he's not there. And it seems like just a funny moment, but again, it'll come back if you pay attention uh, later mm-hmm. on. And unlike Vicky and Steven, the monk can't figure out how he got out. So he goes back to the wounded guy. And we see that the doctor is back in the home of the woman he'd met originally, Edith has been through a few things since they last saw each other. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed subtle here is she has wounds on her face. You know, she has scratches and bruising and she's sort of tending to them and, you know, has like a little towel up to them. And the doctor doesn't notice this at all. Doesn't ask, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a, you know, it's one of those not pleasant sides of the doctor. He's got his own thing to do and he's you know, just not going to notice. Yeah. It, Although human stuff like that.
2: Although it could uh, it could be tact on his part too, yeah. you know? <laughs>
1: maybe he figures her husband was beating her. <laughs> yeah. She tells him her husband, who's the kind of bearded guy, and I mostly I I could never track these guys' names. So to me, it's like the bearded guy and the Viking, and you know, etc.
2: Yeah, I don't remember his name. I remember the other guy's Eldred, but I can't yeah. remember this guy's name. Wo- 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 Wolfram or I don't something know. like that. Yeah, <laughs> something
1: like that. So she tells the doctor that they've gone after the Vikings. And he seems to take this as particularly important. And he talks about a Viking fleet, but she says this was just a scouting party from one boat, but then she wants to know how he knows there would be a fleet. Let me say here, I, I run into some confusion and maybe you can clear some of it up for me. I don't <laughs> know. Cause I was doing some reading up on all this and it just doesn't all match up. The way the story presents it, there are Vikings that attacked a bridge and that caused the king to go to defend the bridge. And that is why he wasn't there at the coast when William of Normandy came in, and that allowed William of Normandy to take over. That's kind of the story of, that they're telling here. When I do my Wikipedia research, it's hard to kind of put it all together because they don't just say Viking. Like, they talk about, they talk about Norwegians going to that bridge. Mm-hmm. And so I suspect that this may be a case that 50, 60 years ago, history books, or maybe history books in England, were kind of treating a bunch of people as Vikings, who now, you know, we may have refined that and sort of are referring to people from specific regions and not just calling everybody a
2: Viking. Yeah, it, it could be. I don't, I didn't even look up the history on it. Although, at least from that Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I got the, <laughs> the impression that the, the Vikings were just going all over the place and settling and intermarrying, and you right. know, France was one of the places they went to.
1: That's one of the confusing things, because the Normans were actually Vikings, if you put it that way. Um, the mm-hmm. Vikings had gone to Normandy and, just like you say, integrated. So that's where yet you know, it all just gets confusing, because... Yeah, everybody's a viking or so. So, anyway, you should get your history from a podcast where we half-ass read wikipedia and and <laughs> use uh, uh Assassin's Creed Valhalla for our history. You know? uh, next I'll I'll use my last civilization game. <laughs>
2: but, uh, there you go. Little end the answers. Yeah.
1: So, with all that, again, the story here is that, that the Vikings were supposed to go to, were are supposed to go to this bridge and attack, and that is what allows England to get taken over. So the doctor assures Edith that the Vikings' initial attack in the south will be defeated. And then he says he's got to go face the monk. He realizes the monk has got some stuff going on here. Stephen and Vicky are looking for the doctor, and Stephen finally admits that the TARDIS must be a time machine but he doesn't understand the whole thing with the watch and the gramophone and all that. And like the doctor, he comes to the conclusion that these oddities must have something to do with the monk. So he wants to go to the monastery and check out the monk, which in this case would be the good idea, since we know what's going on, because of course that's where the doctor is. But in this case, Vicki has a bad idea, and she says they should keep looking for the doctor outside of the monastery so they can all go investigate it together. And I would think, since she knows the doctor would want to investigate the monastery, that she'd realize that's where they should go, but okay, she didn't get this one
2: right. But they just were in there, and they didn't find him in there. So that's true.
1: That's true. And now we see the monk tending to the wounded guy, and he gives him some penicillin. And the bearded guy, the husband of Edith, is there, and so he says, "Oh, it's a, a sort of herb." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> well, it's he, not too
2: far off. It's, yeah. it's mold, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> And he tells the bearded guy uh, to take his sword outside, as this is a monastery. And while that guy's going off, the monk wakes up the wounded guy, this is Eldred, and asks if the Vikings they've seen were a scouting party, then how long would it be until the main invasion fleet? And he says two or three days. The bearded dude comes back and says Eldred is too weak to travel, and the monk butters about how he wishes he could give him a blood transfusion, and then he wants the bearded guy to take Elder away, but the bearded guy refuses. He's just too weak. He says his wife, Edith, will call regularly to help out. The monk's not happy about all this. He doesn't like having company staying over, which I can appreciate.
2: One uh, one thing that might be worth uh, mentioning here is that blood transfusion, uh, you know, when the monk says that he wishes he could give him a blood transfusion, the monk doesn't seem to be sarcastic or joking, uh, yeah, you yep. know, it sounds like he actually wanted to help. So the monk is, at, still at this point, the monk is a kind of ambiguous figure. It's not sure, is he a good guy, a bad guy? or? Yeah,
1: you know, that's true. I mean, he's annoyed that people show up, but then he actually does try to help him and does give him penicillin, which he didn't need to do, like you say. So, mm-hmm. yeah, hes he's not a totally bad guy. And I think one of the things that really makes him work, of course, we'll talk more about this at the end, is that I think the actor plays him pretty jovially, you know, so, Mm -hmm. you know, he's easy to like. Oh, yeah. The two surviving Vikings uh, from a fight they had in the last episode are making their way through the forest, debating what to do. Do they go on and try to accomplish their task, or do they worry about saving their own hide? And they have a pretty big disagreement about it, pretty much (laughs) comes to blows. But they finally agree on a plan to go to the monastery and ask for sanctuary. And once inside, they'll take hostages. So sounds <laughs> like solid solid plan, good people. <laughs> oh, yeah. And now we get, which uh, this is honestly my favorite thing in this whole story. <laughs> we get this shocking reveal, just this this picture or, or a shot of a chart on the wall. It's a big to-do list, a progress chart. And it's a literal to-do list with eight items on it. And I'm just going to read through it because I think they're funny and they do relate to the story. So it says, number one, arrival in Northumbria. And it's checked off. It's been done. (laughs) Number two, position atomic cannon. Checked off. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Number three, sight Vikings. And we now see the Monk is checking that one off as we're Mm -hmm. watching. (laughs) Number four, light beacon fires. Number five, destroy Viking fleet. Number six, Norman Landing. Number seven, Battle of Hastings. Number eight, Meet King Harold. <laughs> and I'm a fan of the getting things done system, which is a way of sort of doing to-do lists and stuff when I bother to actually do it. Uh, but if you, if you read up on that philosophy, you realize these to-do items are what they say are not actionable. They're not nearly granular enough.
2: <laughs> nah, uh, he has to break each one into substeps. Yeah,
1: each each <laughs> item needs to be something you can do. So, so destroy Viking fleet is just too vague. That's all I am saying. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: well, he he did, he he, did he, have step two: position atomic cannon. You yeah, know, that once was. Once you've a... got that, then then destroy Viking fleet. Well, it's sort of self evident.
1: I guess so. And, and step two was one of the better better ones, yes. But then we have, like, Battle of
2: Hastings. Well, you
1: know, okay, what's that?
2: <laughs> it's let other people fight the Battle of Hastings. <laughs> yeah. Again, a very easy one.
1: <laughs> so he rolls up the chart and takes it to, I kept debating what this was, a stone table or an altar, I thought maybe, or a sarcophagus. And we learn mm-hmm. later that it is a sarcophagus. It's a big stone sarcophagus, and he's using it as a kind of table. And he starts making measurements on maps. And there's a pounding on the door because you can never get any work done around here without somebody (laughs) showing up.
2: Yeah, I know that (laughs) feeling.
1: And he decides he doesn't want any more visitors, so he ignores it. But the pounding keeps going on. So he goes to the door, checks around, there's no one there. Closes the door. Immediately there's more knocking. And he opens the door quickly, still no one there. He wanders outside a bit and a big stick is poked into his back by the doctor who has returned from vacation. <laughs> and uh, I will say in all this that it's one of these cases where you can kind of tell he's back from vacation because Hartnell's, you know, got lots of energy and lots of hmms and all that. Yeah. yeah. So he, he's poking this stick into his back, and he tells him it's a Winchester.
2: <laughs> yeah, he says it's like in 1873 or some specific year. Right. And he takes him inside
1: and moves him along inside. And then we see Vicky and Stephen at a cliffside near the water, looking for the TARDIS. And Vicky realizes the tide must have buried it or taken it out. And Stephen says, maybe the doctor moved it. But Vicky realizes he could have only moved it by dematerializing it, which means that he wouldn't be able to get back to them. Yeah. So she's getting kind of depressed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Stephen finds some kind of gun, trained out to
2: sea and hidden by bushes. Yeah, this is the atomic cannon, presumably. Yeah.
1: And he realizes they've really got to get back to the monastery. <laughs>
2: so,
1: <laughs> meanwhile, the monk has been leading the doctor in circles. <laughs> Literally, so the doctor says, this is the third time we've been in this room. You know, <laughs> knock it off. And the monk quickly turns around and sees that it's just a stick, not a Winchester. <laughs> the doctor says he can still use it on him as a weapon. And we've seen him do that before, so that's true. But now there's more pounding on the door. And... The doctor says he'll open it while watching the monk. And the monk says the doctor's not wearing the right clothes. And they have a long conversation about all this. And the main thing for me in this is that clearly the actors are having a lot of fun. I think these actors got along really well. Mm -hmm. Eventually, the monk convinces the doctor to to wear a monk's robe. (laughs) and The doctor says, no monkery. (laughs) Which I I assume is kind of a pun on monkeying around or something. (laughs) (laughs) So the doctor gets dressed up and they head to the door. And the doctor opens it, and there's a Viking with a sword, and he takes away the doctor's stick. The sword wins over stick, I guess. No, oh, yeah. And they put the doctor in a cell, which, as we know, is probably not a good idea, because he already knows how to get out of the cells. Uh, there's no key, so one of them needs a guard. And the other Viking goes off to make terms with the other monks. <laughs> He's going to tell the other monks that they either hide them, or they're going to kill the doctor. That other Viking ends up in the monk's main room, where the sarcophagus is. And the monk rises up, Well, while the Viking's back is turned, the monk rises up from behind the sarcophagus and whacks him over the head with a stick and renders him unconscious and ties him up. So, you know, one of the, a lot of these convenient, you know, hit somebody over the head and they, they fall over.
2: Yeah, yeah, more concussions.
1: <laughs> and now Stephen and Vicky find the secret entrance to the monastery that they used to escape the viking checks the room where he's been looking over the doctor and then surprised the doctor is gone and he goes into the room to see what's going on and he sees the secret exit but so he starts looking through the secret exit and this is the joke from earlier i was referring to because this time the doctor is behind the door so he comes out <laughs> from behind the door and whacks him so they reverse the entire thing where you know this time he sees the exit and thinks the doctor went that way and and all that. So I just thought that was a funny little callback.
2: I, I didn't catch that. It's good.
1: <laughs> and now the monk shows up at the hut with where Edith is and asks for the village's help. He wants them to prepare beacon fires so that a supply ship can find the shore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to their credit, after the monk leaves, uh, Edith's husband, the the bearded guy, He's not fooled for a second. He said, what was it the doctor told you about Viking invasions? (laughs) And he's like, so wait, there's about to be a Viking invasion, and this guy wants us to put beacon fires up, you know? Uh, So he figures it out. Yeah. And back in the monastery, the monk tells the tied-up Viking that he's arranged for the beacon fires for his friends. But the doctor shows up with a sword, and he wants to know about these fires. And finally, we switch to Stephen... And Vicky in the monk's main room, and Vicky notices there's a cable running to the sarcophagus, which you probably wouldn't expect. <laughs> so they search around the sarcophagus and they find doors and they can get inside. And guess what? As Vicky says, It's a TARDIS. The monk's got a TARDIS. <laughs>
0: It's the end yep. of the episode.
1: It's a pretty shocking little visual because you're not expecting that. <laughs> yeah, it, it
2: actually, for just a, a couple seconds, it baffled me because you see those roundels in the walls. And I was like, how does that lead back to the TARDIS? <laughs> <laughs> then I realized, oh, it's a different TARDIS.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and um, we may talk about this more at the end, but this is a huge change in kind of the universe of doctor who right and it it really leads to a lot of the future stories because the whole idea that there could be other tardises and other time travelers and everything i mean we did see another Tardis with the daleks but another one's actually a tardis not like a homemade machine like the daleks had
2: yeah, I've I've kind of been assuming that the the Doctor's TARDIS was just something he slapped together right. or bought off some junk dealer or something. Yeah,
1: so for especially for people watching it at the time who didn't know there was going to be fifty years more of stories, this is a shock, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and on to our final episode of the story, Checkmate.
2: So we get a brief recap of the ending of the last episode. Vicki says, it's a TARDIS, and uh, it looks very similar to the one we've seen. It's got the console, it's got the roundels in the walls, all that stuff. Then we see in the monastery, uh, elsewhere in the monastery, the doctor is interrogating the monk. Uh, The monk explains that the uh, fires are meant to be a signal to the ships, and when the Vikings land, he's going to destroy them. He so that that part wasn't previously clear to the doctor. Was he friends with the Vikings? Was what did he have in mind? So, right. Now we know that the monk wants to wipe him out.
1: Yeah, and, and he he explains that it'll avoid a whole lot of wars and everything that are about to come up. It's basically all the yeah. Shakespeare war plays are what happened from here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, a, a little later we'll get we'll get he'll go into some depth about that. But yeah, he's uh, he he's not a Viking fan. Um, so back in the TARDIS, the Monk's TARDIS, it turns out the Monk has quite a collection of historical artifacts. It's um you know there's quite a lot of bric-a-brac in there. Vicky and Stephen are looking around and uh, they find a crate of uh, shiny black mortar shells. And Stephen says, "Looks like some kind of neutron bomb, I think," which is a uh, uh, a very tiny neutron bomb. I mean, you know, it's the, the, the head on it is about the size of a large fist. And the whole, you know, any individual shell there is probably eh, maybe a foot to 18 inches long. Uh,
1: yeah, and, and for handling a neutron bomb, he's very casual. He's just flipping this <laughs> thing around and kind of, you know, twisting the parts of it and all that. And I'm like, yeah, maybe not a good idea.
2: <laughs> yeah. So they speculate that these shells are for that gun they saw on the cliff. And uh, that's probably the correct, especially since this crate of shells later on, uh, the monk tries to get it out to the gun on the cliff. So that's pretty much a, a cinch there. Mm-hmm. Vicky finds the monk's diary in there, and he reads it. And it turns out that he met Leonardo da Vinci, and they discussed powered flight. And the monk was the inspiration for all those famous diagrams that <laughs> da Vinci whipped up, and she reads further, and it turns out that the the monk did the old two hundred years of interest trick where he went to a bank in nineteen sixty eight and started a savings account and came back in two hundred years to collect the interest.
1: <laughs> well, you know you gotta fund those neutron bombs somehow,
2: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> So outside the TARDIS, the doctor says, So that's it. You're a time meddler. <laughs> and that gives us the title of this story arc. And he reminds the monk of what he calls the golden rule of space <laughs> and time traveling never, never interfere with the course of history. Yep. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the monk replies, Doctor, it's more fun, why way? <laughs>
1: And, you know, I we just see so far these two seasons, like every other story they're either interfering with or not interfering
0: with.
2: <laughs> yeah. Although, uh, you remember, we, we when we started off, originally the doctor's position was there's nothing you can do ever. Well, this was from in the Aztecs in the first right. season. He, he said, there's nothing you can do to change history. And, of course, since then, we've seen that get all shot to hell.
1: Right. And they particularly, they demonstrated that in the Reign of Terror, where, you know, they talked about how, well, if you tried to stop Napoleon, this thing would have happened or that thing would have happened, you know, and, and it still would have happened the way it was supposed to.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they did, uh, although things in that episode, uh, the Reign of Terror turned out pretty much the way it was supposed to. Um, but they did change the, the display cases in the Space Museum. That's one of the times when they well, really get yeah, it.
1: When it has to do with them not being in a display case in a space museum, they're happy to change futures, <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that you can. Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the monk says, "Doctor, it's more fun my way," and uh, and that's true. And he he reveals that uh, Stonehenge wouldn't have been built if it weren't for his help with an anti gravity
0: lift. <laughs>
2: so he has been changing history. So, his plan uh, is that if King Harold's soldiers aren't exhausted by fighting the Vikings first as they were in our history, if they're fresh and ready to fight, then they're certain to beat William the Conqueror when he invades and uh, during all this conversation, the doctor and the monk are are being kind of chummy you know they're they're laughing, they're joshing around, they're having a grand old time and and the doctor says, I, I count myself a very fortunate person indeed to be here in time to prevent this disgusting exhibition. <laughs> so underneath all the laughter, there's there's the anger. Yep. <laughs> so somehow uh, the doctor strong arms the monk into showing him to the TARDIS. I, I, I'm not sure what he has, uh, just aside from his big stick. <laughs> to, <laughs> to, but the monk, you know monk goes along with it. Elsewhere in the monastery, meanwhile, one of the Vikings calls for Ulf, the other Viking, and the recovering villager, Eldred, sees the Viking, so he's aware that uh, they're in, in the monastery here. The Vikings argue whether they should leave now, but one of them suggests there may be treasure in the monastery, so that gets him to stay a little longer. <laughs> and ironically, you know, we found out in previous episodes that the monastery was abandoned. So my guess is that Vikings already raided the monastery and took all the treasure, and that's yeah. probably why it was abandoned. That could be. Yep. So back at the uh, at the Saxon sarcophagus. The monk is uh, ribbing the doctor a little. Uh, you know, the monk has revealed the sarcophagus is his TARDIS. And uh, he says, what's the matter, doctor? Can't you repair your camouflage unit?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pointing out that it doesn't make any sense for there to be a police box in this time. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eldred uh, leaves the monastery. He sneaks out when the Vikings aren't looking. And that's, you know, he's going to go warn his fellow villagers. In the monk's TARDIS, inside that sarcophagus, Stephen has found that master plan list. Just as he and Vicky are looking that over, uh, the doctor enters with the monk, and everybody's glad to see each other. And then the doctor observes that this TARDIS is a Mark IV, which uh, is apparently very impressive. Then we'll yeah. find out soon that it's more advanced than the TARDIS that we know. If for no other reason than it has a working camouflage mechanism, <laughs> Vicky breaks the news to the Doctor that their TARDIS is gone; it's lost. But the Doctor replies, replies that the TARDIS is waterproof, and the tide will go out again, which, which makes sense if you know how tides work. So mm-hmm. everything's everything's Jake with the TARDIS. The Doctor observes that the Monk has made some changes to to his TARDIS. Um, and the monk brags about his automatic drift control that lets him be suspended in space for <laughs> whatever reason. The doctor uh, estimates that he comes from a time about 50 years earlier than the monk's time. So I'm not sure how he would know the TARDIS was a Mark IV unless it was already invented 50 years earlier. But anyway, the the monk's 50 years uh, has 50 years more History under his belt, I
1: guess. Yeah, it's an interesting question because, yeah, since he left and hasn't really seen what's been going on, he wouldn't know. Yes, but he does. So who knows?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And here's where the monk reveals the grand strategy behind his master plan. He says he wants to improve things. He says he knows King Harold would be a good king. He says there wouldn't be all those wars in Europe, those claims over France went on for years and years. With peace, the people would be able to better themselves. He says they could have jet airliners by 1320. He says Shakespeare <laughs> could put Hamlet on television. Yeah, <laughs> you know, is a uh a yeah, questionable idea, I think. But uh, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's more talk. And finally, the doctor just says, what can we do with this man? He's utterly irresponsible. He wants to destroy the whole pattern of world history. <laughs> so, uh... Apparently, whatever drawbacks the pattern of world history may have, which by this time and you know, the doctor's experience would include the the Holocaust and World War One and the Civil yeah, yeah. War, and you know plenty of plenty of downers in there. But uh, but it's a pattern that uh, he thinks needs to remain intact. And while while he's uh, fretting about what to do with the monk, the monk makes a break for it. But as soon as he gets outside the TARDIS sarcophagus. He's grabbed by the two Vikings. Mm -hmm. But he thinks fast, and he says, Long live King Hardrada. Those are your enemies there. Quick. (laughs) And at that suspenseful moment, we switch over to the village. And it's it's a moderately long scene, a lot of arguing amongst the villagers what to do. But what it ends up being is Edith is the voice of reason. And she basically realizes that The doctor is pretty much a good guy, but the Vikings are coming and uh, the monk is still sort of an unknown quantity, but uh, he's kind of suspicious. So they think he's probably a spy for the Vikings. Mm -hmm. So they all get ready to go up to the monastery and give the Vikings and the monk what for. So back at the monastery, the monk and the Vikings are gathering up the crate of neutron mortar shells. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, the monks says that they're charms to guide the ships, yeah. uh, which the Vikings seem to seem to buy it. Unfortunately, uh,
1: they're very heavy charms, so they're not yeah. too happy about
2: that. <laughs> yeah, and he mutters something under under his breath, you know, some amusing little remark about you know the the ships will know they're there, or something <laughs> like that. Meanwhile, the reason that Stephen and Vicky and the doctor aren't interfering with this is because they're all tied up. Stephen and Vicky take a moment to argue about what will happen if the monk changes history, and it's, uh, it's mostly your standard science fiction speculation stuff, like, oh, maybe we'll immediately have our memories replaced with the new history, and you know, stuff like yeah. that. Meanwhile, the doctor looks like he's asleep, but it turns out he's wide awake, but he was deep in thought. And he says, he must be stopped. He's a, It's very. It's one of those uh,
0: like
1: close up on his face moments. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. We get a quick glimpse of the villagers heading through the forest toward the monastery, searching for the Vikings. Back at the monastery, we see the Vikings carrying the crate out the front door, but then the villagers descend upon them. So the Vikings flee back into the building. The monk flees away from the building and the crate is just left behind and all the shells within it as the villagers pursue the monk it's not clear whether some of the villagers stayed inside to pursue the vikings or maybe maybe they were already uh beaten up but uh, actually we know they're not because we'll, we'll get to that inside edith releases the uh, the doctor and company the doctor is sure the villagers will catch up to the monk and the vikings so somewhere along in here the vikings must have gone off after the monk because it looked to me like the Vikings went in and the monk came out, but there there must have been some shuffling going on in there. Anyway, uh, the doctor's sure the villagers will catch up to them, but he's concerned that the monk may still have some tricks left up his sleeve. So the doctor says he will return to the village to say goodbye. He's, he's about ready to go, but he has a couple things to finish up at the monastery first. Mm-hmm. And actually, I don't think he does actually return to the village to say goodbye, but uh, unless it's a part we just don't see.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: In the forest, the monk does something that's, um, well, considering that he really doesn't like the Vikings much, uh, I guess it's you know understandable, but uh, he, he tells the Vikings about an old well they can all hide in just over there behind that tree, and uh, well, the Vikings go to find it, and the monk runs off. <laughs> and the Vikings come back, and... The monk's gone and there was no well and, uh, the villagers swarmed them. They were, they were a distraction to get the villagers off the monk's tail.
1: And this place in the set, you know, is the kind of like one of two outside places and all this. So we've seen it many times. The, the previous fight with the Vikings happened in the yeah. exact same spot. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's just a little convenient clearing in the woods. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So inside the monk's TARDIS, uh, the doctor is messing around with something under the console. There's a little electrical box hanging on wires. And the doctor is a little testy. Uh, Steve and is keep trying to talk to him while he's doing this, and he's, he's, he's a little bit testy. But he finally gets some string hooked up to it. All three of them, they go outside the sarcophagus. And the doctor gently fishes the little box and wire out of the TARDIS.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And when it's in his hands at last, he says, I've done it. (laughs) And he leaves a letter for the monk atop the sarcophagus. And he says they can all go back to their TARDIS now.
1: Yeah. And actually, mechanics-wise, when we find out what happens, this is all pretty good. It makes sense what he's doing
2: here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was a fun little... Reveal. It's it's kind of a dark ending, but we'll get to <laughs> yes, that. Well, very, yes, very 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 shortly. <laughs> so he left the letter for the monk, and meanwhile, the monk is continuing to flee through the trees. We just get a quick little glimpse of that on the cliff outside. The doctor points out that the TARDIS is just below,
1: with a remarkably small amount of staging. They do make it feel like there's this whole forest and everything. So this mm-hmm. is one of those classic BBC things where there's no cliff, there's no trees. We're just, like, looking up at them, and their hair is blowing, you know, and there's some <laughs> cloud behind them. But they make it work. And and also, yeah. I meant to mention earlier, I forgot, they were doing some kind of processing whenever they were in the monastery, so their voices would echo. And hmm. it was very natural, but it really also gave a feeling of being in a big stone building. So that
2: was pretty well done, too. Hmm. You know, and I don't think I noticed it once. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> So, Stephen, um, there's a little, little interesting dialogue here. Stephen says he's beginning to like the idea of being a crew member on a time machine. Vicky says, a crew member? You'll be lucky. He's the crew. We're just the passengers. <laughs> and the doctor says, yes, and both very welcome ones, my dear. Come along. Come along. Back at the monastery, the monk has finally made his way through the forest. He's evaded the villagers. He's finally returned. He gets to his Tardis sarcophagus, and he sees the note lying on top of it. He opens it up, and as he reads, there are a few phrases in the letter that give him pause, just briefly. But even after he's reached the end of the letter, he seems very confident, even though uh, you know, there are a couple points where the doctor alludes to some difficulties that the monk may be encountering.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And he spends some time being like, "Wow, well, there's nothing he could do, so I'm fine." There's something he could have done to me. He just keeps kind of trying to figure out what that means. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so he decides he'd better take off. He opens the TARDIS door, and the interior is tiny. He, we we get a <laughs> shot of him that it's not the greatest special effect in the world, but we. He looks very large looking in through the door to the target. Yeah, his,
1: his head is the size of the door. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the inside is all shrunk down to the size of the sarcophagus. The doctor took the dimensional control that makes it much bigger on the inside.
0: <laughs>
2: and the monk cries out in despair. He says, marooned in 1066. Oh, doctor.
0: <laughs> and he sits
2: on the steps and puts his head in his hands. Well, you get a quick glimpse of the other TARDIS, which is making its awful ratcheting noises, uh, getting ready to dematerialize or whatever it does. And that's the end of the episode, except there is one little additional thing possibly worth noting. It's just a little minor change. The end credits now have these white facial profiles, like three-quarter profile. First we see Stephen... Then Vicki, then the Doctor. They're all just kind of looking serenely off into space.
1: Yeah, this is like a season-ending thing, you know, because we we had that same kind of starry background that we saw at the end of season one. So I think they're just, you Mm, know, they like to do kind of a special outro. One thing I wanted to mention is in the Doctor's note to the monk, he said, oh, I may come back and free you at some point. And this is just one of many times that the doctor is either lying or never gets around to it. You know, he never goes back to Susan. He never goes back to this guy.
2: <laughs> oh, he never goes back to Susan. Uh, I kind of mm-hmm. figured that, but. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, well. Yeah, well, I mean, the guy can't even repair his own spaceship, so what are you going to do? <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well.
1: Well, so, um, let's talk about it, uh, s- story-wise. What do you think of the pacing and everything?
2: It was good. It was good. I think, um... It could have fit into three episodes, but that's a, that's a Doctor Who constant, <laughs> well, more or less. But, you know,
1: you always be thankful for four, because it's not six. <laughs> uh, I think four is a pretty ideal, uh, you know, yeah, they might be yeah, it in they're... three. I think four is pretty ideal. One thing I'll say is, well, they do have a lot of running back and forth and stuff that could technically be padding. I don't think it feels like padding, because the difference is, unlike most things, almost everything that's happening is moving the story forward right you know mm-hmm. if people are running over here it's because it's something that's going to end up being important yeah instead of just kind of going back and forth
2: yeah it was um it was it was good overall i didn't think um you know it wasn't it wasn't the kind of thing where some people just made very obviously dumb decisions just <laughs> for the sake of advancing the story it all, it all hung together pretty well the muk mo- the monk's plot was was interesting i mean uh it, it would have been too weird for me to ever try such a thing because you just don't know what's gonna happen i mean he didn't even know if shakespeare would still exist if he changed history you know so let right. alone broadcasting it on television so i mean yeah it's it wasn't it wasn't the greatest plan in the world but he had a certain kind of logic to it at least. <laughs> And at least
1: he had all the steps worked out.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They
1: never got to meet King Harold, so. No. Well, we don't know.
2: Yeah, I guess he could have (laughs) before. I mean, I don't
1: think he has very long to meet him, but. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We talked about the fact that they started moving away from historicals because they just weren't popular, even though we've tended to enjoy them. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really interesting thing that is a first, right, where it's, the idea that it starts as a historical, and then it turns out not to quite be one, right? And, and mm-hmm. I think that sort of makes it—it's the first historical that you could say is really a Doctor Who, because its it doesn't have the whole thing of, oh, we're just meeting some famous person, and do we change history or not? It's like, oh, you know, here's another time traveler who is changing history and has watches and, and cannons and—or, <laughs> you know—
2: yeah, we do, we don't really meet any big Kahuna's. You know, we meet a yep. few Vikings and a few peasants, and uh, <laughs> that's that's about it.
1: Right, and of course, as we mentioned, you know, opening up this whole new world of the idea that there are other time travelers with Tardises, and they say in there that they're from the same place. So, you know, this is pretty uh, uh, pretty important in the history of Doctor Who in terms of story background. Yeah.
2: So, uh, so the monk, then if he's from the same place that Susan and the doctor were from, then maybe he's also missing his, uh, orange sky or whatever awful <laughs> thing it was that Susan described.
1: Yeah, Gallifrey, Yep. You know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there eventually. So, I mean, actor, well, the actor wise, let me ask, you know, are, uh, are you warming to Vicki or is she still kind of a, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, she's more fun now. I, I. I don't know that anything has changed about her. It's probably just more my gradual acceptance that Susan's gone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's um, she's good. I, I think I'll probably warm to her more uh, you know, in episodes to come, and then uh, you know the third season will be over, and it won't matter anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, well, how about Steven's first full story?
2: He's good. I like him so far. I'm, I'm getting a kick out of him. He's um. He's fun, yeah. He's he's got potential.
1: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, some of the key stuff with him is lost in the future. But uh, uh-huh. hopefully, they'll do animated ones at some point. Well, so we come down to it. What do you think? Is it worth watching? Oh yeah,
2: yeah. This was uh, this was a fun a fun story here. and there there is some stuff that's dark even by Doctor Who standards. You know, we had uh, Edith in one of the earlier episodes had a terrible yeah. experience, or yeah. what, what we assume was a terrible experience. But she did seem to bounce back. I mean, I guess if you're a medieval peasant, you got to be resilient. But uh, yeah. but still, um, she seemed like she might be able to go on with her
0: life. And well, all
1: so, this story is one of my favorites of the Hartnell era, and we did, I meant to talk about uh, Peter Butterworth, who's the monk. Uh, we talk about actors, and I think that he, he just makes this work, right? I mean, the casting was critical here. If If it had been... The wrong person. I don't think the story would be interesting. Mm. I mean, it is interesting, but you know, in, in the whole thing of what he's trying to do and everything. But I, but I just think he needed the right personality. And this guy, like well, you say, he's a he's a little bit evil, but he's not mm. totally evil. And he and the doctor can have some fun back and forth. And
2: yeah, yeah, there is that. Uh, he does have a kind of a jovial aspect, and uh, yeah, the if it isn't maybe completely virtuous that he's going to slaughter all those Vikings while they were coming <laughs> to slaughter other people. You know? but, um, but then, of course, the ending that he gets is, uh, is really Yeah,
1: well, dark. that is cruel. Yeah. That's true. And, and that's an interesting thing with the doctor, right? Sometimes uh, he's pretty cruel with what he does yeah. to people.
2: Yeah. Well, there's not, off the top of my head, I, I couldn't think of – Another way for the doctor to solve the problem. You, know, you could have taken him along
1: with them and maybe tried to tie him up or something. Who knows? But
2: yeah, they're, yeah. They're awesome. but I mean, one way or another, if this guy gets access to a working TARDIS again, yeah. he's just going to keep on
0: doing yep. more <laughs> mayhem.
1: Now this is also no. This is the second time in just a couple stories where they had a perfectly good working time machine and they chose to not use that or to destroy it and continue <laughs> using the TARDIS, which, you know. Yeah,
2: you know, they, they, they could have tied this guy up and taken him mm-hmm. to the other TARDIS. And, but, uh, yeah, you know, they didn't want to move all their stuff, I guess. I can yeah. understand that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> be a hassle. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we're at the end of the second season and next up we're going to do a wrap-up episode of the entire season with a special guest. We'll see who that is. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this story?
2: No, no, I don't think so. I was kinda of hoping we'd get to see at least one of those neutron bombs go off. <laughs> but uh Yeah,
1: I'll think the budget allows for that. Although they could have probably <laughs> just got some stock footage from World War Two, but oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, it was good. It was it was fun. Good way to wrap up the season.
1: Yeah. Right. So we'll do our wrap-up, and then we are going to do, as we've done before, um, one of Hartnell's movies <laughs> to give people a little exposure to what he did outside of Doctor Who.
2: little Hartnell worth watching.
1: Yeah. And uh, then we have a, a brand-new season of films, which we're, we're excited about. Not quite ready to say what that is yet, but it'll... We've been working on it for a long time already, so (laughs) it'll be nice to see it start to come out. Yeah. Okay, well, join us next week. right.